Pray with me. God, our mighty fortress, our bulwark never failing, we thank you, God, that you are our defender, you are our refuge, our protector, because we're not afraid to admit that we need help to make it through this world. And I pray, God, in full view of your mercies that are new every morning, this morning, for example, that in full view of those mercies, Lord, that we would walk worthy of you, our worthy God, you who are of infinite worth. Receive your worship. Receive our worship as we love you with our hearts and with our souls and with our minds and with our strength. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Oscar Wilde is said to have quipped, I can resist anything but temptation. I wonder, what is your greatest temptation? A survey of discipleship journal readers revealed uh, no less than nine great temptations. I'll list them for you, though I'm pretty sure you're already acquainted with them. Materialism, number one. Pride, number two. C.S. Lewis would have reversed those. Self-centeredness, number three. Laziness, number four. Anger, And lust, tied for number five, envy, number seven. It might be higher in our culture. Gluttony, number eight, we don't talk about that. And lying, number nine. We all face temptations. How do we overcome them? Again, Wilde, who was aptly named, said, the best way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it. Well, we know better than that, don't we? Growing up in Germany, I used to ride with my classmates down the Rhine River in a boat, and we would come by a certain part, the narrowest part of the Rhine River, and there's a rock there called Lorelei. And there was a legend of the Lorelei that there were sirens who sang there and that that those ship captains would often have accidents there. Even this year, there has been a, a great barge that overturned there in that narrow part of the river. It was only later that I realized that that story and others like it are echoes of an earlier story, the, the story that Homer tells uh, in the Odyssey about Ulysses and about his uh, journey trying to get past the sirens and knowing that so many ships wrecked because of the temptation of the siren songs and so he he filled his men's ears with with honeycomb not the cereal but honeycomb and and then they rode without hearing the sound of the sirens but he he lashed himself to the mast of the ship so that he would not be able to get free. And he said, no matter how much I beg and plead, do not let me go. And so they rode and they could not hear his pleadings for them to set him free so that he might wreck that ship because of the sound of the sirens. Various ways to deal with temptation. Some say prayer is the answer. Others say accountability in the body of Christ. Just answering to somebody regularly will be the the key to overcoming temptation. 
But I think it's simpler than that. I think we have to connect ourselves with Christ who was also tempted and overcame every temptation in his life as a human being. Would you open your Bibles with me again to Matthew chapter 4. This is the final in our series that began back before Christmas. We'll start a new series next week on prayer. I pray a a life-transforming series for us as we think about praying uh, in our homes, praying with our spouses or our dearest friends, praying with our children. Let's stand together as we read God's word today. Matthew chapter four, I'll read verses one through 11. And then I'm gonna pick up uh, just a few verses in the book of Hebrews as well. You'll find those verses in Hebrews chapter four. If you're tracking with me, we'll read those together after these verses in Matthew. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thank you, you may be seated. Hmm. So why did Jesus go? Was his hair dry from the baptism when the spirit who had come down when all of heaven had broken loose at his baptism, was his hair yet dry when the Spirit led him out into the wilderness where he could pray and fast and be tempted? I'm sure I've seen it before, but it, it really jumped off the page for me this week to realize that he went out into the wilderness to be tempted in order to be tempted, more specifically in the Greek. And it was the Spirit who led him there. Mark says the Spirit, more strongly, drove him there. 
And there Jesus prepared himself by fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And then he was hungry. And then at the moment of his greatest weakness, the tempter, that's the first way he is referred to here, the tempter came and then the devil tempts him not once, not twice, but three times. It's significant to note that at this point in Jesus' life, he was completely undefeated. He had never once yielded to a temptation. But in this moment, he is tempted, greatly tempted, and three times he answers the devil with scripture, and he answers until finally the devil leaves. Luke tells us, until another season. This is not the last time Jesus will be tempted. But Jesus overcame. And it's easy for us to say, well, well, of course he overcame. He was God. But that's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is that Jesus was tempted as a human being. Note that it says he really was hungry when the devil said, turn those stones into bread. It was a real temptation for him, but he overcame so that the writer of Hebrews says he is able. We don't have a high priest who's unable. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us. That's the word, literally in Greek, to feel with us. He was tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's why he's able to help us. That's why he's able to give us grace and mercy. I know that we appreciate the fact that Jesus overcame his temptations. I was just wondering when we're going to appropriate his victory over temptation in our lives as well. And perhaps the key to understanding this passage, the temptations of Jesus are our temptations as well. The, the temptation Henry Nouwen calls the first one to relevance, to do whatever it takes to be relevant, to, to misuse the gifts that God has given us for our own selfish purposes or perhaps to test God. Don't these sound like the temptations uh, of Israel, temptation to hunger in the wilderness, temptation to test God, temptation to worship another God, the very same temptations, but it's different because Israel failed and Jesus, the second Adam, was faithful in every temptation. He is able to help us. And it's no use saying, it's no use saying when we're tempted, well, I'm not Jesus. Good news this morning. You don't have to be Jesus to overcome temptation. But you do have to have Jesus to overcome temptation. Let me show you in this passage, the temptations that Jesus faced so that maybe we will be able to uh, understand them as we face temptation in this week as well. He comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones, turn them into bread. And Jesus answers, it's written, man does not live on bread alone. That's all that Luke tells us, but Matthew tells us more, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, the temptation for Jesus in this moment when he is there and he is at his weakest moment when he is struggling is to doubt the provision of God. Do you ever do that? In that same survey I mentioned to you, that list of nine temptations, 81% of Christians said, my greatest weakness and temptation comes 
when my intimacy with God is weak, when I've not had time with him, um, that is the time when I am most susceptible to temptation. Maybe that's your story as well. 57%, the second reason they said they yielded to temptation was because they were physically exhausted. I believe Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, not so that the devil could set him up when he was hungry, but precisely so that when the devil tempted him, he would be ready. And battles are won in prayer. Jesus won the battle of temptation in Gethsemane at prayer. The disciples lost the battle of temptation in Gethsemane because they were too weary to pray. Prayer makes the difference in our lives. It is that, it is that strength that we find. And what, and what Satan says to Jesus, he says to us as well. Are you really a child of God? I mean, a person with your track record against temptation, can you really believe that you are a child of God? And the reason Jesus says man doesn't live by bread alone and the rest of it, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is because still echoing in the chambers of his mind and his heart were the words of his father at the baptism 40 days before. This is my son if you are the son of God. No, this is my son whom I love. And in him I am well pleased. And many times I am convinced we fail in temptation because we fail to believe that what God says about us is true. A little over a year ago when I flew up to Denver to see B.O. before he went home and joined another choir to sing with angels. Before um, he went home, I, I went up there and I read these words to him and I want to read them to you today and I want you to internalize these words because you may, you may have come to doubt these truths, but this is a compilation of scripture by Trevor Hudson called The Beloved Charter. This is what it says, you are my beloved child in whom I delight. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You are my friend. I formed your inward parts and knitted you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, made a little lower than the angels and crowned with glory and honor. You have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which I have already prepared to be your way of life. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. You are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. I know all your longings. Your sighing is not hidden from me. Nothing will ever be able to separate you from my love in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Abide in my love. That's what God says about you. Read the scripture. Make your own beloved charter. Write down every good thing that God says to believers because all of that pertains to you all of the time. And if I could convince you, if I could convince myself, if God could convince us that he loves us as much as he says he does, then you and I would so abide in that love that when the devil comes into our lives, we would have already won the victory because nothing the devil could offer us would ever be as good as what we have already found in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's why Jesus can say, I don't need food right now. It's why later in John chapter 4, verse 34, he could say, my food is to do the will of him 
who sent me. We're all about the moment and our needs. But would you believe me if I said the greatest needs in our lives are not temporal but eternal. They're not ephemeral and momentary but they are spiritual and they are forever. And those needs supersede every other need and Jesus as hungry as he is for food in this moment is more hungry for God. Does that describe you? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul. Look, when you and I taste the bread of heaven, he will feed us until we want no more. A second temptation there in verses 5, 6, and 7. This time, notice that he takes him to a, a precipice, a, a high point in the temple. Literally, in the Greek, it says a wing of the temple. It's the word, uh, by the way, that gives pterodactyl, that pterodon, that wing of the temple. We don't know exactly where it was, but we do know this, that Herod, when he rebuilt Solomon's temple in the time before Jesus ministered, that when Herod rebuilt that temple, that he built an, an overlook at the top, looking out over the Kidron Valley below, and the distance from the top to the bottom was 450 to 500 feet for you football fans, about a football field and a half deep. And the devil takes him there and says, just throw yourself down. <laughs> don't you believe? Don't you believe? Why don't you just presume on God's goodness? He says he won't let you dash your foot against a stone. Why don't you just? It's the temptation to sensation, to becoming a sensation. Jesus defined your ministry by the sensational. Draw attention to yourself, but, but Luke and Mark and Matthew tell us of Jesus' messianic secret that he's not trying to win the crowds by sensationalism, by drawing attention to himself and the, and the, the sin of pride, the, the temptation to pride. As C.S. Lewis says, the first and greatest of all temptations is not far from any one of us. But believe me when I say, do you join me in saying, if somebody took me to a high place and said, just jump and see if it works, I, I don't think that would be a great temptation for me. With my fear of heights, we were in Zambia this summer and uh, Chase said, I, I want to do the bungee jump off of the bridge there at Victoria Falls. I want to do that. I talked him out of that. I talked him down. It was a compromise. You ever do this with your kids to the gourd swing? And the gourd swing, you only fall backward 150 feet with your, with your feet tied together and then you swing. And, and I've got the, the, the video of it. Um, and in the video, I'm talking under my breath to Melanie, though she's not there. I know she's going to see this video. And this is what I know. If anything happens to this boy, Talwood will have two funerals. There'll be one for Chase and then one for his stupid father, killed by the boy's mother for allowing the boy to do this. And I'm talking to her saying, Melanie, they say this is safe. This is safe. And, and I'm going to video him. And he dives backward. He takes this 
plunge and the whole time I am praying and the camera is shaking and I am trying to focus and I, he gets mad at me because I lost focus of him, that little dot swinging down there in the valley, shouting at the top of his lungs, this is awesome. But last week, that bungee jump that we decided not to take, a woman took that plunge and the cord broke like the elevators here at Tallowood, we change the cable every time it breaks. And, <laughs> and so it, it fell and, and she fell with a hundred foot of rope and she fell into, this is why I wouldn't do this. Look, look, it's, it's, I don't know how many feet high, but then you fall into rapids and then there are crocodiles in the rapids. And so there's three fears and any one of them would keep me from doing this. Height, water, crocodiles any one of them but here is this woman and the rope gets caught under the water and she's trying so she has to swim down loosen the rope uh, brave the rapids and outrun the crocodiles but she survives you can google it and see it please not right now on your ipad but sometime you can see that story this is not a temptation for me but for jesus if he had just taken this nesty plunge and and dove down and just at the right moment angels had picked him up and he had landed softly on the ground, well then, it would have been a dramatic beginning to his ministry. It could only go uphill from there. I mean, just imagine the crowds of people and the popularity and the temptation to be popular is not far from any one of us. But Jesus resists that temptation. He will not do the right thing in the wrong way. Will we? Because if you do the right thing in the wrong way, isn't it still wrong? (laughs) Even if it's the right thing done in the wrong way at the wrong time. And Jesus knew that and he overcomes that temptation. The third temptation, he goes to the top of a mountain and he sees all the kingdoms of the world. Some have said, where exactly is that mountain where you can see all the kingdoms of the world? Luke helps us with this in chapter four, verse five. He says that the vision was instantaneous. In other words, I think it was a vision a moment in time where he's on top of this mountain and Satan shows him everything and says, it's all mine. Now he's the prince of the power of the air, but my my Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And the reality is he's saying, um, you can have all of this if you'll worship me. You can do this without God. You can worship this false God, me, and I'll give you everything you want. And that temptation is still with us. A billboard in Chicago not long ago said, are you good without God? Millions are. Atheists there, a coalition put that up to say, you can be good without God. Why do you need God in your life? Well, that's what Satan is saying to him. And you and I could live our lives with functional atheism. We could, we could come on Sunday, but then as soon as we leave here, we could live as though there is no God. We could talk like everybody else. We could do what everybody else does. But God has more for us than that. And if you learn that even good is not good, Apart from God, I read in Psalm 16, verse 2 this week, apart from you, Lord, I have no good thing. Even good things are not good without him. Take God out of good. All you're left with is a zero. There's nothing there. No good apart from him. And in this moment of temptation, Jesus refuses to worship him. You will worship the Lord only, if only I could convince you of that only, 
that you don't worship God and the things that he's created. False gods never fail to fail. That's why there are the prohibitions against idolatry. That's why at the very beginning of the Ten Commandments, it says there's only one God. Worship him only. Serve him only. Because you, you can't sort of serve God and the world. Jesus says you, you can't do that. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And I love the fact that then the temptations end. Only for a season, Luke tells us in Luke four thirteen. But they did stop. And sometimes we yield to temptation because we think this is not going to go away until I give in. That's a lie. Or given my track record, what are my chances of succeeding in this temptation? Well, you see, it's not about your track record. It's about his. And he went into the desert undefeated. And he came out of the desert undefeated. One of my favorite sports teams was undefeated till this week. And... Uh, they lost twice, and one of the players was quoted as saying, well, we knew we would lose eventually. Really? Maybe that's why you did, because <laughs> you knew you would. But Jesus, undefeated going in, undefeated coming out, undefeated on the cross, undefeated emerging from the empty tomb, undefeated ascended into heaven, and there he sits at the right hand of the Father where he does what? He lives to make intercession for you and me. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 2, verse 18, he is able to help us because all he did was win, win, win. He's able to help us. He's able to give us mercy. Mercy when you don't get what you do deserve. He's able to give us grace when you do get what you don't deserve. I love what Felton Benton's grandmother said to him. Boy, mercy kept you until grace could save you. Yeah, that's my story. It was the mercy of God that kept me until the grace of God could find me and save me. And when you and I realize that Jesus Christ, what does the song say? Tempted and tried. We need a great Savior. Well, the writer of Hebrews says, we have one. We have a great Savior who has overcome every temptation, who's able to give you grace and mercy, who sympathizes with you and who strengthens you in the midst of your struggle. And I found another of those uh, Greek legends this week about Orpheus who goes by those same sirens. But unlike Odysseus, Ulysses, he doesn't, he doesn't lash himself to the mast of the ship. Instead, he just pulls out his lyre, we would say his guitar, I guess. And, and he plays a song so beautiful that he and his men don't even hear the sirens' song. Here's how you win over temptation. When you find something, someone so much more beautiful than any temptation in this world and you fall head over heels in love with that one, then you will discover that the temptations that once wreaked havoc in your life are no longer worth your time compared to that greater good, that greater love the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I saw it this week. I went to visit it at a hospital on Friday afternoon and I was leaving. I was headed to a lunch and, and, and I needed to make one more hospital stop before I did. I was down in the medical center and you know how the parking and all that works and I'd already called Cindy to say, can we delay the lunch just a little bit? And then 
And then I'm walking out of my visit and I'm walking across this parking lot and I am resolute. I'm a man on a mission. I've got my Bible tucked under my arm and I'm walking as fast as I can walk trying to get to that car. I walk right by an electrician's truck with his equipment and he's leaned back with his arms folded against his car. And as I walk past him, he shouts at me across the parking lot, hey, are you a Christian? The big Bible under my arm, there was no denying it was there. (laughs) I turned and said, yes. He said, Can I tell you my story? I thought, I wish you wouldn't. (laughs) But he started. And he was one of those people, you know those kind of people who just keep talking and when you go, I gotta go, and they don't even hear you. They just keep talking. He said, you know, it was back in 2001 after 9-11 and I I had left my wife and I had been living in adultery for three months and my wife had hired an attorney and the divorce was about to take place and I was about to leave my wife and my kids for this other woman and and he said, wouldn't you know it, a church hired me to do their electrical work and I was in their parking lot and just like today, the equipment was broken and so I couldn't and I said, well, that's great and I'm so glad and I've got to go now and he said, no, but he said, you know, I saw this dream and God showed me my sin he said I was I said did you fall asleep he said no I was wide awake but I saw this dream and God revealed to me my sin he said I staggered into the church looking for somebody but there was nobody there you can never find help at the church when you need it I guess I don't know and he walks in and he said I found a room he said I didn't know what it was but he said now I know it was a Sunday school room and he said I fell on my face and I confessed my sin to God and I said would you please change me and he said a peace descended on that room and I called my wife and I said I've got to come home God has shown me a vision he has changed my life I've got to talk to you I know it's going to take some time but I can't make up for all the wrongs I've done but I've got I've got to I've got to come back to you and the kids and she said who is this (laughs) and when he said who he was she, she said well come home now And he said, I don't know how to explain it to you, but God restored my marriage, restored my family. I turned from that sin. And ever since then, he said, when I'm driving in my car and I'm tempted to look to see who's in the car next to me, the Spirit of God says to me, you don't do that anymore. Your life has been changed. He said, I preach on Monday nights at the local jail. And my pastor, when he's out of town, lets me preach on Wednesday nights. He says, God answered my prayer. He changed my life. Tempted and tried. We need a great Savior. Look, to overcome temptation, you don't have to be Jesus. But you do have to have Jesus. And I'm praying you won't leave here this morning without him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your saving power. Thank you for loving us as you do. Help us, I pray today, Lord, to receive your gift of salvation, to know your grace and your mercy. Lord, draw us to yourself because we can't draw ourselves to you. But by your spirit, change us, God. You who changed Kurt Sims' life in the parking lot of First Baptist Church of Humble, would you visit us at Tallowood today? Would you save us from our sin and self? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.